this week <laughs> of welcoming uh, David Wood. Well, it's not even that unique because he's been here before. Um, we love him. We love having him here. He's the senior associate pastor at um, uh, Co- Co- I knew that Coquitlam Alliance Church, and uh, and we welcome him this morning. Uh, come, bring the word to us. Well, good morning, everyone. Let the record show and the recording show that I'm unique, Derwin. I think that's important to realize. No. Good to see everyone here. Um, this morning, what I'd like to do is, um, you know, last year I had an opportunity to walk through and teach through the Ten Commandments. Now, we're not going to walk through all Ten Commandments. Uh, this morning. But what I'd like to do is uh, I, I want to look at one particular commandment this morning, okay? And, and I think it's important, if, if you've never done this before, maybe, maybe in kids' church and stuff like that, you've gone through the Ten Commandments, but to go through them again, I think, is a fascinating experience. Because often the Ten Commandments are taught, and I've seen this, you know, in, 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 in kids' churches and stuff like that, it's simply, you know, all right, kids, listen up. These are some things you need to not do, right? Don't do this, 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 and somehow you'll be okay. And, and, and that's a problem because that's not really what the Ten Commandments are all about. One of the things, as I was uh, t- teaching it this past year, is I was reminded again and again that the Ten Commandments are a gift from God. And they're given to us for two reasons. To protect our lives and to enhance our freedom. And if we don't, and and they are both, and, and the Ten Commandments are rooted and premised in grace. And if you miss that, you're really in trouble. You're really, you're really in a lot of trouble. But what I'd like to do this morning is I want to look at one particular commandment, and that is the Tenth Commandment. Does anybody know which one that is? Anybody know? I hear some. Covet. Yes, thou shalt not covet. Yeah, you shall not covet. And in order to really get this commandment, thou shalt not covet, um, I'd like to situate this commandment in a passage that we find in the New Testament. So if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 16. Okay? Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, and chapter 9, verse 16, we come across this story. And it says, Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Good question. Jesus says, Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your mother and father, love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor 
and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Let's, let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we have worshipped you in song this morning. We've worshipped you in giving. And now we want to worship you with our ears and our hearts and our lives in response to your word this morning. So we pray that you would speak into our hearts. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Soften our hearts to receive from you. And then grant us the courage to respond to whatever you say to us this morning. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. So this is a familiar story for, for some of you who have been you know, around the church for a while. It's the story of a rich young ruler who asked Jesus a very important question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And notice Jesus' response. He says, well, you know the commandments. It goes right back to the commandments. Because you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And the young man's response is immediate. And you know what? It's sincere. He's sincere. He says, you know what? I, all these I have kept right from my youth. And if you were to summarize the young man's approach... His thinking, it could be summed up in a sentence. His sentence would be this. I got this. I got this. And here's the thing. If you run through the Ten Commandments, it would be tempting to say a similar thing. I got this. I mean, we take them at face value and, you, and, and we read through the Ten Commandments and we think, you know, keep the Sabbath. Well, I'm here. I'm at church today. I'm keeping the Sabbath. Check. Honor my parents. Well, I did that over Christmas. We all went over to their house and they cooked dinner. I mean, we honor them, right? <laughs> Don't murder. Check. Don't cheat on your wife. Check. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Check, check. In fact, if we worked at this, it would be tempting to think that one day we could, along with the rich young ruler, say, I got this. And you know what? The commandments that we are struggling with, well, that's our New Year's resolution this year, right? We're going to work on some of those things. But do you notice when Jesus was speaking to this man, did you notice anything missing from the list of the commandments he laid out? He kind of laid out the second table of the Ten Commandments. What did he leave? He left out the commandment that we're going to be looking at. Do not covet. And I think it would be interesting to hear the young man's response if Jesus had included this. I'm not sure if he would have answered quite so confidently. Because you know why? Jesus knew precisely that this is what this man was struggling with. This was at the heart of the problem because this was a rich young ruler. And as a rich young ruler, he was used to getting what he needed, what he wanted. He was rich. He was young, right? He had, he had money. He had wealth. He got whatever he needed. Now he's coming to Jesus because he's looking at his life. And he says, you know what? I could use a little bit of spiritual wealth too. So I'm still lacking a little bit. So Jesus, what can you offer me? What can you give me? What do I, what do I need to do? in order to get spiritually healthy. And Jesus says, you're doing good. You're just missing one thing, one thing. Just take all your money and 
sell it, you know, give it away to the poor, and then come, follow me. And it says in the passage that this young man in the Greek, it says he grieved. The, the word is used to describe this downcast is this deep, deep sorrow. It struck him to the heart, and he was no longer willing to talk to Jesus. And he walks away, downcast, sad, in deep sorrow. And here's the thing. When you and I realize what this last commandment, do not covet, calls us to, and when we realize the impact that this last commandment has on all the previous nine commandments, I'm not so sure that we can be that confident. In fact, when we look at the 10th commandment, do not covet, we're faced with three important truths. And here's the first truth. That you and I can follow the letter of the law in the first nine commandments. We can, we can say to ourselves, we will never worship at a temple. We'll always worship at a church. Good. No other gods before us. We won't make idols. We will not swear. We'll take a day off. We'll write a letter to our parents. We don't kill. We don't cheat. We don't steal. We'll tell the truth. You can do all the commandments to the letter of the law and at the very same time break every single one in your heart. And secondly, as a result, it may begin to dawn on us, maybe even for the first time, that we don't got this, that these commandments need to be rooted and, and, and premised in grace. Because if grace does not come first, and it does come first, right, in the Ten Commandments, how does the Ten Commandments begin? I am the Lord your God who delivered you out of slavery, out of, out of the land of Egypt, right? It begins with delivery. It begins with grace. But if we don't get that, if we don't get that, if grace does not come first, and you know what? And if we're judged by the stuff that goes on in our hearts, you and I are dead in the water. But here's the third thing that comes out of this. That deep down in our hearts, we think, you know what? If I were able to keep this 10th commandment, my life would be really different. If somehow, some way, I could keep this commandment, my life would be radically different. Now, it's interesting because the 10th commandment really doesn't add anything to the first nine. The nine are all, you know, keep the Sabbath, do this, do this. The tenth doesn't really add anything. But what the tenth commandment does is this. It brings us back to what is most important in God's sight, which is what? The motivations of our hearts. And the temptation of the Christian life will always be to think, yeah, I got this. And as I said earlier, that's how a lot of people understand the Christian life. Right? A lot of people, even today, even if they've been in the church for a long time, if they were to define what the Christian life is, is like, well, I don't do this, and I do this, and I don't do this, but I do this. And to the outside world, that's what Christianity really is. It's a bunch of do's and don'ts and getting your ducks in a row.
you know what? The Christian life, it's always tempting to reduce the Christian life to a bunch of rules. It's always tempting to reduce the Christian life to a bunch of rules. Why? You ever wonder that? Yeah, you're in control. It's a lot easier to follow rules than the rule giver. Right? It's a, it's a lot easier to follow rules because if I follow rules, I can get a sense of how I'm doing. Yeah, well, maybe I'm not doing that well in following the rules, but I'm doing better than Lincoln. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, okay, I'm struggling a bit, but compared, I'm doing pretty good, right? So it becomes a, a way of, of, of measuring yourselves compared to other people. And here's the thing. If we just, if we reduce our faith to rules and you follow rules, well, here's, and this happens over and over again, well, then you look for loopholes, right? And, and you say to yourself, well, you know what? I do honor my parents. But the passage doesn't say anything about my in-laws. I don't have to honor my in-laws because technically they're not my parents, right? And yes, yes, I have not been keeping the Sabbath for quite a few weeks, but you know what? It's a long weekend coming up. And I'm going to take all three days off, and I'm going to apply those retroactively for these past three weeks, and I'm okay, right? Rules are always easier to follow to work around than relationship, than friendship, than love. And what this passage, Do Not Covet, does, you know what it does? Is it rips off our masks and exposes what's, what we're really thinking, what we're really wanting. And you know what it does? It, it, it lays bare my mind and my heart, and it, and it exposes this fundamental truth that Jesus really is not Lord of my dreams and my desires. And you know what? You would never know it. You look on the outside, hey, he's doing pretty good, he's doing pretty good. He's doing... But if the stuff in my heart was laid bare to you this morning, you'd be like, oh, you know? And if, if our hearts were laid bare, and if our motivations were really laid bare, it'd become very clear very quickly that Jesus is not always Lord of our dreams and our desires, right? Am I alone in this? No. Now, what is covetousness? When, when the Bible talks about do not covet, what, what, what's, what's it saying? Well, covetousness is this. It's a yearning for something that belongs to someone else. It's that simple. It's a desire for someone or something that belongs to another and with the idea of coveting is this idea of scheming and planning to get something that doesn't belong to you. So there's a bit of scheming involved as well. More broadly, covetousness is, is an illegitimate desire. Let me say that again. It's an illegitimate desire. It's a desire for something or someone that does not belong to us. Something that cannot rightly be ours. And so it's, it's rooted in a refusal to accept the givenness of your situation, givenness of your life. It's a refusal to acknowledge that God, it's a refusal to acknowledge God 
or to allow God into our circumstances. It's a desire to play God for ourselves, to be in control of our own lives. And so Paul points out in, in, in Ephesians chapter 5 and in Colossians chapter 3 that there's a deep connection. There's a deep connection between covetousness and what? And idolatry. And so what I'd like to do this morning, just in our remaining time, I just want to look at two things. And I want to look at just briefly at covetousness as we see it in different places in the Bible. We'll just look at a handful of those. And then I want to look at where we see covetousness in our lives today, okay? So first, where do we see covetousness in the Bible? Well, all throughout it. <laughs> but beginning in, right at the very first book in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, we see Adam and Eve. They see the forbidden fruit. They saw that it looked good. And even though they knew that they shouldn't take it, they took it and then lied about it. And in the process, they violate no other God stealing, lying. <laughs> and it all leads to alienation from God. So I mean, right from the get-go, you find covetousness. They desire something that should not be theirs to desire. Secondly, we'll jump up David and Bathsheba. David, when he's out, <laughs> he should be out with, uh, with his army, but he stays behind. He's bored. There's a connection between coveting and being bored. Um, he's bored. He's wandering around the house, and he looks down, and he sees a woman bathing. And he covets her body. And he decides that he wants her even though she belongs to someone else, and he takes her. And what results? Murder, adultery, and a baby's death. There's a story of Ahab and Jezebel. They covet Naboth's vineyard in 1 Kings chapter 21. It's not their vineyard, but they want it, and they take it, and it leads to stealing and murder. And it's interesting, if you look at Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5 to chapter 7, Jesus, the new Moses, on a different mountain, is laying out the Ten Commandments. Have you ever read the, uh, the uh, Sermon on the Mount? He's laying out the Ten Commandments again. But what he's doing here is, is he's underlying the reality that so much of, of the Ten Commandments needs to be rooted in our hearts. And so he comes back again and again to the issue of the heart, and, he, and you'll hear Jesus say these words, You've heard it say, you have heard it said, you shall not murder, and whoever murders is liable to judgment. But I say to you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, any man who lusts after a woman in her heart, every time you click on that site, every time you, you look at that person in such a way, every time you create that scenario in your mind about that person, you're committing adultery with her in your heart. And so what Jesus does over and over again is he takes the teachings of the Ten Commandments, but he plants them directly within the context of the Tenth Commandment. Do not covet the issue of the heart. And you know what? It was this reality of covetousness and what's going on in the heart that really did a number on Paul the Apostle. Because Paul, if anybody who had an impressive resume, it was Paul. If there's anybody who could say, you know what? I really do got this. It was Paul. 
And, and Paul's feeling pretty good until he comes face to face with the teaching of the Tenth Commandment. And you see this in Romans chapter 7 when he comes to the realization of the stuff that goes on inside of his heart. And he realizes that Jesus is not Lord of the stuff in his heart. Paul begins to despair. He says, you know what? There's things that I want to do that I shouldn't be doing that I'm doing. And things that I sh- uh, you know, I, I'd like not to be doing, I end up doing. And it leads him to a point of despair. He realizes what a sinner he is. And what I'd like to do is I want to just look briefly now at how covetousness plays out in our lives today. Now, there's lots of examples, (laughs) but let's just look at four. Here's the first one. No question of lust. Now, what is lust but precisely an illegitimate desire to possess that which cannot be possessed? When you click on that picture, when you go to that video, when you go onto that website, it has nothing to do with love. It has everything to do with lust. And and do you know, at a heart level, do you know what is at the root of all lust? Loneliness. The root of all lust, I'm going to speak to guys here for a second. The root of all lust is loneliness. And I want you to check this out. Whenever you're struggling in the area of lust, check out to see how you're doing in in your areas of friendship and community. And I will almost guarantee you, I will guarantee you that there's a connection between a lack of friendship, a lack of, of community, a feeling of aloneness, and lust. And that's why I've said many times, friendship is so important. But the sad irony is, is, that, is that the actions that, that we take when we go to that site or we look at that video or we go, you know, wherever we happen to do, these, act, these actions actually depersonalize both yourself and the person that you're looking at. So let's take pornography, for example. When you go to a site or click on a video, what are you doing? You're taking a human being, usually a woman, who's made in the image of God and you're reducing her to a thing, to an object that you can possess, that you can control, that you can keep, that you can use for your purposes, and then to throw away when you're done. And when a person, a human being, becomes an object, what happens? They become something that I can have that I can use, that I, that I can get rid of. And it's always, always an illegitimate desire then. It's always a desire to own something that I cannot rightly own. You cannot own a human being. And therefore, it's covetousness. 
And people are not things. And to reduce them in such a manner denies their God-createdness or image of Godness. It runs against my obligation to know my neighbor by name and to love and to honor them. And so whenever you treat someone as a thing or an it, you depersonalize them. You violate the fact that they're made in the image of God. Now let's just tease this out just for a moment. Whenever I look at somebody as a means to an end, I'm in trouble. So if I say, oh, I think I'm going to become friends with Lincoln so that I can lead him to Christ. I'm depersonalizing Lincoln. I become a vacuum salesman. I don't become friends with someone in order to. Friendship is an end in itself. So that's one. Now, because we're on the West Coast, I think I have a picture of the next one. Um, if we can throw it up on the screen. is gambling, which is a big deal on the West Coast. This is uh, being approved just, I think, last month. Uh, now, after the Canuck Games, there's a place where you can go to spend the evening. The casino that's being built right next to, uh, formerly known as, what's it called? Rogers Arena. And gambling, what is gambling? Gambling is a government-supported industry of covetousness. <laughs> that's all it is. And it's rooted in the rejection of the givenness of life. It's a pursuit, an insatiable pursuit of more, through the means of chance and luck, non-biblical terms, and you never really arrive. I remember living and working in Hong Kong. And uh, in Hong Kong, we'd go to this place called Happy Valley Racetrack, uh, which is the number one gambling horse racetrack in East Asia. Um, it's called Happy Valley because it was a place that, it was a valley that used to be full of malaria and disease. So it's kind of an ironic name. And I remember being there once and seeing a guy come up to the till because he had just won some horse race. And, and he, he, he received 50,000 Hong Kong dollars, which is about six, $7,000 U.S. Stacks, stacks, stacks. And I remember him taking the money and then looking and pushing it back in for the next bet. And he turned around and I looked at him. I remember his eyes had this look of, 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 of desperation and fear. It's a big deal out here. And, uh, you know, these places get built. But you'll be probably happy to know that within these, this, this half a billion dollar casino, that's how much it costs to go up, um, they do have within the casino agencies to help you if you're addicted to gambling. <laughs> so that helps. Now, nothing ever good comes out of this. I, I know personally a number of families that have been completely wrecked through gambling. But it's covetousness. That, that's all it is. Let's look at it one more. And this is a weird one. How about beauty? How do you respond when you see something beautiful? I mean, beauty is a good thing, right? It attracts us. But here's the thing. Our immediate reaction when we see something beautiful is to do what? 
right? Look at that sunset. No, it doesn't look quite as good, but with Instagram or with these filters, it's going to suddenly look good, right? And if I post it, and I got likes already, that's pretty good. How much beauty do we see through the medium of a screen now? Something phenomenal is happening, and we miss it because we're trying to look at it through this screen. And with that is the idea that there's something so wonderful that I'm seeing, I am going to take it and possess it and manipulate it and post it to bring glory to myself. Now, I'm not against photography or anything like that, but it's a phenomenon of, that's come with the rise of the smartphones. And sometimes I'll be out with my kids and we'll see something amazing and the kids will say, Daddy, take a picture! I'm like, you know, I'm good, I'm good. I said, I actually can remember it. Right? I don't need to own it. It's not mine to own. And it's interesting how covetousness can even be um, played out in the area of, of beauty. Okay, one last one. And, and we can't really, you don't think we can miss this one. How about consumerism? <laughs> and I always find it ironic. You know, we just came out of the Christmas, Christmas season. I always find it ironic how, how Christmas, which is the supreme picture of our helplessness, our desperate need to be rescued is a tool that we use to promote all the characteristics that run diametrically in opposition to what Christmas is all about. And, and what bothers me is that we use the language of Christmas to market our materials. And so you'll, you'll see, and I'm not making this up, you probably saw this over Christmas, you'll see you know, the language of Christmas used to, for marketing. You know, here's tidings of comfort and joy, 50% off this week. <laughs> I'm not making this one up. It's, it's tidings of comfort and joy. You can buy this car, it's 50% off, right? Or instead of um, you know, reflecting on it's a wonderful life, I think, yeah, it's a wonderful card, right? And all year long, not just at Christmas, we're surrounded by the culture of consumerism. And, and, and the message of consumerism is twofold. Just two, two, it's very simple. It's not rocket science. Two things. One is, look how awesome this stuff is. Secondly, look how terrible your life is without it. That's all it is, right? It's not rocket science. And, and along with this comes attendant messages. You deserve better. Pride. Everyone else has it. Envy. If you, had, if you had this thing, you could do a lot more in less time. Promote sloth. You can buy now and pay later. It undermines self-control. And all, all the messages of marketing promote lust, avarice, and gluttony. And, and here's, it's gotten so bad. Don't show the pictures yet. Um... It's gotten so bad, it used to be subtle. It used to be, you know what, um, this is something that you may want to consider buying. I think it would be helpful. But now it's just, I, I think, what's the name? Yeah, it's just, I want that. <laughs> it's not even subtle. It's just, I want that. And if you don't, if, let's say you have enough, that's okay because you can always, what's the next one? You can always crave more, Right? And it's interesting, we live in a time where covetousness is presented as a cardinal virtue. 
And it runs right against what Jesus is teaching, that our lives does not, do not consist in the abundance of our possessions. The Christian life is always about the ordering of our affections. Is what Augustine once wrote, he says, about loving the right thing to the right degree in the right way. So it's not against, you know, buying things you need, but it's about loving the right things in the right, to the right degree in the right way. And so we need to deal with this, this covetousness. And thanks be to God, it is God who rescues us. And we see in the Old Testament pointers to this, where we'll have a new heart, a new spirit, where God himself will place his very law, his very presence within us. So I just want to conclude with with just three responses, three practical responses to covetousness. Here's the first one. is you and I, we need to turn our hearts away from illegitimate desires and turn our hearts towards God. And recognize that you and I will never be satisfied with anything less than God. And many of you today, this morning, are spiritually hungry. And you're tired of eating food that does not satisfy. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You know, you can eat all the bread you want, but you're still going to be spiritually hungry. You receive me, and your life will never be the same. And this is important because Jesus is not an add-on to our lives. And that's what the rich young ruler wanted. He wanted something to tack on to an already pretty good life. He was a rich young ruler. A little bit of spirituality wouldn't hurt. And many people look at Jesus that way. You know, my life's going pretty good, but a bit of Jesus can make it even better. And Jesus will have none of that. Jesus is in no business of improving our lives. He doesn't want to improve your life. He wants your life. And our lives only work insofar as they're connected to the one who is the author of life, which is Jesus Christ. So we turn to Jesus. Only he will satisfy. Secondly, and this is, should be pretty obvious, give away as much as you can. Consumerism tells you that all you are is a buying machine. You're just a bundle of appetite. Sorry, Lincoln, you're, you're there, so you're, you're okay. <laughs> you're just a bunch of, of, of a bundled appetites. And these appetites can only be satiated through a well-timed trip to the shopping mall. The Bible says, no, no, you're made in the image of God, right? And our lives are found in Jesus, not in buying this or buying this. So one of the best antidotes to covetousness is to give away stuff, to give it away. And don't get, I mean, don't give away because there's a need out there. There is a need out there. (laughs) Give away stuff because there's a need in here, (laughs) right? You give away stuff because it's going to help you as well. Stuff will never fill your soul. So give, give, give. <laughs> and here's the last thing. And I'm drawing this one from uh, Daryl Johnson. 
from uh, First Baptist. In the Westminster Confession, some of you are Presbyterian here, uh, there's the opening line that says, um, the chief end of man is to, does anybody know? That's right. Yeah, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Daryl Johnson um, once said this. He says, yes. He says, but he, he changed it a little bit. He says, we glor- Our, the chief end of humanity is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. And here's a question for you. Do you enjoy God? We shall have no other gods before us. Why? Because our greatest satisfaction, our greatest freedom, our deepest life is found when we are most satisfied in Him. Do you believe that? Now, when you know this. What is the worst time to ever go grocery shopping? grocery shopping when you're hungry why you buy you buy stuff that you don't really need right oh i can use a bag of chips i can use some pringles you know stuff that's not really good for you but you're gonna because you're hungry right and i wonder i wonder if the same thing works in the spiritual life that in the morning if we're not fed with the with with the bread of life if we don't drink our fill of the living water, if we don't spend time in Jesus' presence, I wonder if the same temptation happens to us during the day, that as we go through the day, stuff captures our attention, and we think it's going to fill us up. We think it's going to satiate that hunger, but it just leaves us feeling sick. And so it's just an encouragement to you to, to begin each day feeding on the bread of life, drinking of the living water. And then when, when, you're, when you're full of the bread of life and when you've been drinking from the bread of water, all that crap during the day that says, hey, hey, you say, no thanks. Because you know what? It's, you're not going to satisfy. Only Jesus will satisfy. When we turn our eyes upon Jesus, when we look full in his wonderful face, what happens? Yeah, the thing. Very good. Yeah, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you, the bread of life, living water, and we turn to you, and we look full in your wonderful face. And may the things of earth grow strangely dim, all the things that clamor for our attention, but really don't satisfy. May we be reminded that our lives only work the way they were created and redeemed to live insofar as we follow you and are filled by you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All of you is more than enough for all of me, for every burst and every need, you satisfy me with your love, and all I have for you is more than enough.
Awesome than our Lord. 